also going upstairs. Good. Thank you for the teachers that fill in and the children we have. Bless you. Have a great morning. Again, we want to welcome everybody here on this beautiful day. Uh, I'm not sure we, yesterday noon, we thought we were going to live to today, but we made it. <laughs> the storms came, didn't they? And uh, I, I don't know about you, but if you've been watching the weather pattern, just how it's gone around us, and uh, many times uh, it could have been a lot worse. That's an interesting bring bring. That was, is that my pacemaker or what? Are we okay? Okay, whatever. Uh, live stream people, if you're checking in with us or YouTube or on uh, uh, Facebook, all those different places, I want to let you know that next Sunday morning, okay, uh, next Sunday morning, uh, we're going to start just a little earlier, so if you want to tune in, come in a little earlier, uh, right around 10 o'clock for Resurrection Sunday, we're going to have a great celebration. It's going to be a wonderful day. Uh, while you are alert, now that's a faith statement. How many of you are alert? Good, good, good response there. Only 16 of, no, all of you did. You're alert. And uh, while you're ready for the hear the word of God, I want to hit it to you first so that you pick it, can get it while you're still, I don't want to put you to sleep. Uh, I want you to hear this word. I'm going to read the events preceding a day that we celebrate today, which is called Palm Sunday. This is a day that we, throughout history, have uh, had a day when we recognize the coming of Jesus into Jerusalem, being proclaimed as the King of the Jews. He came in, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So I want to read that because today all over the world, Christians are remembering this day, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus. And they're declaring those words we sang about, Hosanna, Hosanna, the King is coming. And that scripture that was declared is coming out of the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And then it begins the week of Passion. We call it the Passion Week because following this day, there is four days where Jesus in Jerusalem began to be tested to see if he's uh, a fit, blameless lamb to be slain. Now, again, in, in, in the uh, traditions or in what was going on at that time period, the high priest would go out into the area where they're getting the lambs and find the perfect lamb, and he would put it across his shoulders, and he would bring it up into uh, Jerusalem, and that lamb would become and be tethered to or tied up at the gates of the temple to allow people to come in and see if it's perfect. For four days, they would make sure that that is the perfect lamb for the Passover, the Passover lamb for that day of Passover. Well, Jesus went through that same kind of testing in the first four days. You can read it in a lot of the Gospels where it says that uh, they came and different groups of people would test him four times, different tests. And then it led up to that, that uh, very long trial where they accused him falsely and brought in false witnesses. And then he was beaten and bruised, and he was led to the cross where he died on the cross for our sins. His body taken down and buried in a borrowed tomb. I always think of that in terms of uh, if someone was going to do his travel itinerary, they said, could we rent your tomb for about three days? That's all we wanted. Because he, he's going to leave after three days. And uh, so he rented the tomb. The tomb was given to him. And then that resurrection morning when he rose triumphant over death and hell and over the grave. It's a wonderful week. But I want to go 
uh, read that for you and then go a little preceding that day. If you would take your Bibles, we're going to look at several passages. And the first one, let's go to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21. I want to read it so if I get it into your, our minds this morning that we can follow along in this journey. Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem, came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt beside her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, um, says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I, I refer to that, Zechariah, the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on him, them for Jesus to sit on. A very loud, large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went on ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now turn over to chapter 26. Chapter 26, which is... Um, Matthew 21, we're going to go to 26, and again, I want to begin at verse 1. This is, as Matthew records it, is after some different things that happened. Well, verse 1, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. And they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. Verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster box of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why is this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you always have with you, but you always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Verse 14, then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to, lay, to hand him over. Now, I want to go to another gospel, to the gospel of John. I want to begin in chapter 11, John chapter 11. Are you still with me? Got to read it. You got to understand and hear it. This is, this is the story. Go to John chapter 11. And I'm going to jump into this section. John chapter 11 talks about Lazarus. 
and he died and was in the tomb and Jesus woke from the tomb. He is resurrected. Lazarus is resurrected. Go down to verse um, 45. And then it says, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take over both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, stood up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize it is better for you that one man die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. Verse 51. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take Jesus' life. Therefore, Jesus could no longer move publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so they might arrest him. Now, I hope that you're beginning to, to grab hold of what is happening because, again, I want to read a, a, that, that uh, time that Jesus is in Bethany. Go to chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say anything. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief as a keeper of the money bags. He used to help himself to what was put in it. Verse 7. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were come, going over to Jesus and believing in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his, on his way to Jerusalem, and they took palm branches, went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, who he, is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Now, 
And I had just read a pile of verses. I've told you this story by you looking down at your Bible and listening and seeing what was taking place. We are celebrating today Palm Sunday in terms of the historical uh, way of observing those days. But yesterday, the Bible recorded, the day before Palm Sunday, look down at verse 12 the next day, the day before, there was a dinner given to honor Jesus. That day was an honoring of Jesus, and five people are noted in this dinner that took place. There's five named people whose journey in life intersected at that moment. They met in Bethany, and there a few things happened. I read them. You can see them. I want to refer to them. Their journey was intersected. I want you to notice something that I have not taken note of for years in this story. This was in the backdrop of a, a plot, an intrigue by the chief priests and the priests themselves, the Pharisees, to plot to kill Jesus. So he's gathering at this dinner in Bethany, which is only about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And all underneath, there's this thing going on. I'll talk about the whole plot in a moment. But here's five people that the Bible records as pretty significant in their own personal journey as they come to this next week. They don't know what's coming. They had dinner for him last night. This morning, the crowds are gathering, and he comes down in the triumphal entry of the Lord. For the past several weeks, if you uh, can keep up with where I've been, we've been focusing on the recorded journeys of approximately 3 million Jewish people, 3 million Hebrews, through the wilderness journeys. And we've taken the record from Numbers chapter 33, and they said they were on a journey. And the cloud lifted, they moved, the, the cloud settled down, the fire settled down, and they stopped. And we've looked at maybe six or eight different places along the way. And I've applied those in terms of we learned from 1 Corinthians 10, said, look at them for an example. So we have seen where three million people, God was dealing things with them. There was the bitter water that was made sweet. There was that time when they... Uh, they, they went out, and they said, we don't have any drink here. But then the very next day, place they stopped was in Elam. That was Marah and Elam. They had the provision of abundance, 12 springs there, a spring for every tribe. And uh, 70 palm trees were there. They moved on from there, and it was there that they complained, you're going to starve us all to death. And God gave them manna. For 40 years, they had manna. Then we came to Rephidim, where the water came from the rock. And God demonstrated and answered their question, where is God when? Is he with us or not? And as we looked at those examples, we say, you know, I need to deal with that too because sometimes I don't think that God's around. I don't know about you, but there are times when you say, Lord, where are you? I could sure you, I'd sure like you like to have something evidence in you right now. They doubted just like we do sometimes, and God showed up. And not only that, the next thing we see there is that an army came against them and they uh, had victory because of the intercession of Moses, Hur, and Aaron on top of the hill. The presence of God was there, and they saw it. And then we saw when they left there, they went to Mount Sinai. 
Now, this is all reviews. You should have all this figured out by now. But you come to Mount Sinai, God, God gives him a covenant. He said, this is what you need. This is the, the instructions, the Torah instructions that you're going to need in order to live. The Ten Commandments, as we call them. And they're right there for them to, to do. But in the middle of that, they build this golden calf. And they get to, God said, that's not good for you to do. And then they left there and came to Kibroth Hatava, which was the, the graves of of craving, he said, that their their pleasures, their their lust were stirred up, and God dealt with that in them. Now, with that journey, I could give you and me, I could get a lot of examples on how God wants to work in my heart. But this morning, I want to talk about the journey of just a few, an individual. It would almost be like I would uh, I would get five volunteers from the church here, and I bring five people up, and I say, we're going to talk about your story and how you got to where you are now. Not three million, but just individuals who had a very significant place in their journey, a day in their life that Scripture thinks is important enough to record it. I have never thought about the day before Palm Sunday, but as I'm reading the Word, I say, wait a minute, the next day. So this day, something took place. Now, I want to remind you, Philippians 1, 6, he has begun a good work in you, will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God's working, and he's worked in people's lives all the way through. Now, again, I want to give you the intrigue behind this event. I've already read to you where the plot has been out to kill Jesus in, in, in a way that started here prior to this case, Prior to that day, they're looking for a way to get Jesus to catch him that will lead him right to the cross. Again, please put yourself on Saturday before Sunday. They didn't know what was going to happen about Thursday or Friday. They didn't know what was coming. They didn't know that Jesus, Jesus told them, I'm going to go to the cross. We're going to go up and I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. He told them that, but they're, they're people. You know, they're just, what? So they have this journey, but underneath, look at down. I, I read this before, down at verse, chapter 11, verse 57. They gave orders, they gave orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. Now, please understand, that would be like me, pastor, they were leaders, priests in the synagogue, would say, okay, everybody, listen up. If anybody sees Jesus out there, let us know. We gotta find him. We gotta find out where he is. Subset, we're gonna kill him. They probably didn't say those words at that point, but you remember what happened? Crucify him, crucify him. They came to that. So we have this plot. Find Jesus. Now, this story that John records says, anybody find him, let us know where he is. What I read to you in Matthew, it says that Judas took up the challenge. And he negotiated a price to do it. He went to them. We read in Matthew 26, or 21 rather. And he, no, it was in 26. He said, listen, I'll turn him over to you. But what kind of money are you talking here? I want to negotiate the price. And they said, okay, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. Underneath this whole story is this plot to kill Jesus. And then not only, I hope you caught this, 
They said, and we're going to kill Lazarus too. I, always, I, I think of Lazarus, you know, he died. He was risen. Jesus said, come out, Lazarus, come forth. Come out of that grave. We sang that song. I'm coming out of that grave. And he comes to life. And then comes the news. By the way, they got a bounty on your head. Been there, done it. No big deal. Help yourself. Kill me if you want. I got the T-shirt. It's not all that bad. Resurrection's coming. <laughs> so, but here he is. So they've included Lazarus in their plot because people are going out. The miracle man that raised from the dead, Lazarus. So he's mentioned in our dinner story in chapter 12. And he's one that they said we're going to give you too. Now, I don't want to I don't want to lose you in just a lot of interesting facts or about this. But what I want you to know is that God has a place for us as individuals, not a nation, not three million people, but me. God has a place for you, a relationship with the living God right where you are. And he wants you to know him. And the people that are mentioned here know him. The people who are involved in this story have come to an intersection in their own personal journeys that they come to this place and there's something very significant that begins to take place. They had a dinner. John does not record whose house it was in. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say that it was in the home of Simon the leper. Now, his name is mentioned only in those contexts. Simon the leper is never mentioned any other place in Scripture. His name only comes up in the account of the dinner at Bethany or this location in Bethany. But they say it was in Simon's house. They came to Bethany. Now, the question is, and I could give you a test and see if anybody really knows, who is he? How does he factor in in this whole story? Now, number one, uh, a, a lot of things are unclear, but there are some truths that we know about. It was his home, the leper's home. We also know that if he was still a leper, nobody would have gone to his house. Jesus wouldn't have gone because that would have made him defiled as a Jew. You can't get near a leper. So he's no longer a leper. And they wouldn't have been there. But if you think about it, Jesus healed lepers throughout his ministry. It, it's not a far distance to believe that maybe Simon was one of those that Jesus had healed. There are several passages in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They record where one leper came to Jesus and asked for healing, and he was healed. There's another story where there are ten lepers that came to Jesus and said, have mercy on us, have mercy on us. He said, you're healed. Go show the priest that you're healed. But remember, one came back. I have no proof for this. I have no, so don't think I'm going off on some crazy tangent. But I wonder if the one who came back was Simon the leper. Don't know. I can't find any verification for that, but I have to believe that somehow his house became open for Jesus to come to, to in a dinner to honor Jesus. Now, let me throw something else at you. Some 
believe that he may have been the father of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. Because if you read the verse, go up to verse 1, he said, where Lazarus lived. So he could have been dad. Again, I'm, I'm treading on a lot of speculation here, so just ride with me on it. Because if you look up in any commentary, any book, nobody's going to know who he is. It's just suppositions based upon a few things. Because Martha and Mary are in the house with him. And notice, I'll get to her in a minute, but Martha is serving dinner there. It's got to be their place. And if it's Simon's place, it must have been dad's place. You don't just go into somebody's house and start cooking dinner for, for a, a banquet to Jesus if it's not your place. So I just throw that out there. I'm saying that the heart of Simon the leper was, and you know how things ha happen. If he was a leper, and there's so many Simons in Scripture, Simon Peter, Simon the Zealot, all these Simons, that somebody had to say, well, you know, he was the leper. And from then on, his name was Simon. Well, which Simon are you talking about? The leper. He's not a leper now, but he was healed. He's freed. And I think Jim, like every one of us, ought to say, and Jesus, I give you my house. I give you all that I have. Take it. Come on in. We want to have a dinner to honor you. Again, day before Palm Sunday, day before the whole passion. They don't know what's coming, but at that moment, he said, my house is your house. Over top of the intrigue that there's a word out, if anybody finds him, let us know so we can kill him. So Simon is one of the individuals. And then it says that while Lazarus, okay, here dinner was given to Jesus on a merry serve, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And now we have Lazarus. Lazarus, the Bible said, when the word came to Jesus from his sisters, they said, Jesus, the one you love is sick. Lazarus was not just anybody in a sense. He was a man that had a relationship with the Lord Jesus through his journey. And Lazarus, they said the relationship was one that they even said to Jesus, well, you know, Lazarus, I'll, I'll give my paraphrase, He's one of your best friends. You loved him. And Jesus did love him. And now he's raised from the dead, and he's sitting at a table in that place. He's a miracle man. He's raised from the dead. People knew who he was. They came to see Jesus, but they also wanted to see this guy. I already said it. Christ was on his head, too. But he was sitting with Jesus just days, maybe a couple of months from his resurrection when he came out and he was made alive by the Lord Jesus. And then we come to Martha. Little phrase, and Martha the servant. Serve thou. Now, we all know, I, I've got to learn to say you all know because many of you might not know about Mary and Martha. If you're new to the stories of the Bible, the events of Scripture, but there was a time way uh, back in chapter 10 of Luke where Martha was serving, disciples of Jesus was there, and she comes out and says, Jesus, would you tell my sister to get out here in the kitchen and help me do dishes and help me push stuff away? And what was Mary doing? She was worshiping. And Jesus looked at Martha and said, Martha, Mary's chosen the better thing here to worship me. But it's her gift. It's her heart. 
It's your first time. It's everything is about her is Martha is a server. And I want you to, to know that she is not to be denigrated because of her service. In fact, many t- times when the scriptures refers to Bethany, it says, and the town of Martha. It's Martha's town. So she's given credit in scripture, not just by that one scene where she complained that her sister wasn't helping. And Jesus showed up, rebuked her and said, get in your place for now. But here she is again. She's serving. It's her heart to serve. She said, Jesus, if we're going to have a dinner to honor you, we're going to have some good food out here. And I've got to put something on the table to serve you. You know, in your journey, there's times when God is going to say, would you step up and do it for me? Would you serve for me? Not about you, but for me and for others who are serving. It was a privilege for her to serve the meal to honor Jesus, and she expressed her heart. And then we come to Mary. Mary is the one that you have of the story where while Jesus is sitting there and her name is referenced at different places along the way, that she brought out a, uh, one scripture said an alabaster box, some say a box of perfume, of spikenard or nard, but very expensive perfume. And she comes to the feet of Jesus, and he's reclining at the table. It was a, in Hebrew, it was a triclinium, a three-sided. They were sitting there, and she comes to his feet, and she pours out the perfume on his feet. And not only that, she doesn't grab a towel. She takes her hair and wipes his feet with her hair. It is a very tender scene. It is a very intimate scene. She did it in front of everyone, though. It wasn't back backdrop of nothing there. She did it in that context. Notice verse 7. Jesus said, leave her alone. Again, other scriptures said this story is going to be repeated throughout the... Sh- it's never going to be forgotten. It's always going to be repeated. But here it says, it was intended that she should save this perfume to the day of my burial. Do you see the hand of God in Mary's life? Now let me talk to you a little bit about that jar of um, ointment there. It is said that that was probably a bottle or a jar of perfume that was given to a young lady for her dowry as she gets married. If she's single, she has what it takes for all of her funeral expenses. It was very very particular. It had a very significant smell. It smelled uh, not like a funeral home, but it had the smell of embalming fluid. Death was there, but very expensive and very beautiful. It was most likely given to her by her father. And if you ever smelled it, you would know what it signified. It wasn't just a nice perfume. It was a very important perfume. And it was, it was very expensive. The disciples had said and referred to it before, it's worth a year's wages. Let's move it right now. Let's bring it right up here. Somebody brings something worth $40,000 to $100,000. Maybe your salary is a year for $30,000, $40,000. Or maybe even up to $100,000. And they bring that item and they smash it. And now it's useless. I mean, it's poured out. What are we going to do with it? This is very important, very significant. As she pours it out, 
And the Bible says that God intended this to happen, and she had it. Jesus said, for this day. Don't think that your life isn't sovereignly planned by God, that there's going to come journeys for you, events for you. And God said, this is why I brought you into this. This is what I want you to do. And the disciples were like, ah, what? That, you, know, you know what that cost? I don't buy that kind of perfume for my wife at Valentine's Day. What are you talking about? $100,000 worth of embalming fluid. But here's what's significant about it. He said, this is for my burial. This is for something. And I was, I was just meditating on this again. From this moment on, Saturday before Palm Sunday, let's talk about it in that way. Saturday, suddenly, Jesus smells of death. Everywhere he went, it wasn't that guy who overloaded himself with perfume and go, whoa, what do you got on today? This was a significant bit of perfume that trailed with him. It was a mark of death. Everyone knew what it was. It wasn't hidden. And even Jesus himself, as he traveled and went through the, through the trial and, and the, the brutal beating, still that smells there. And he remembers the intimacy of that. And he knows that this is why I came. I came to die. I came to die for you and you and you. I came to die for the world. And I have the smell of that death on me from that moment on. And it was given by a woman who listened to this I, just yesterday. I'm looking at this again. And I realized from that moment on, Mary's hair smells like the same thing. All you ladies know, you put something in your hair and sometimes it don't come out. And it's going to be there because it is an oil. It is a a very significant, it's meant to embalm. So Mary identifies with the death of Jesus the day before Palm Sunday happened. How often do you and I identify with his death? Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. He doesn't smell like death, maybe. doesn't have the perfume, but Mary came. And we see her at the resurrection, at the tomb, at the open tomb. We see her there in the next week. She had this smell, identified with his life coming. Again, please remember the two things that are going on. One is this group of people, Judas, I've already talked about Judas. He, he bought into that. That was another person. And it was Jesus himself who said, I know what I'm doing. This is why I came. This is the journey the Father has in all these journeys are, are brought together. All those lives came together on that one dinner and event. On top of it, it's the threat of them being killed along with Jesus. We're coming to time, people, and I don't know when, I don't know what it's going to look like, but it wouldn't be a surprise to me because it's happening around the world where people are going to come and say, are you identified with Jesus? You're going to jail. We're going to take everything you have. We're going to kill you if you identify with Jesus. There's not, not much difference in the intrigue of what was going on by the religious leaders and then Pilate and Herod and all the rest. They made a statement. Their journey was right there. Let me give you several thoughts about this. Number one, and I've repeated it well, the lessons in their journey. Simon the leper, I'm going to say, is a life of thanksgiving. I'm thankful for healing. This is my house. I'm thankful, Lord. 
I don't, I don't own anything. I'm your steward. It all belongs to you. When's the last time you walked around your house and said, Jesus, this is yours? And I don't mean when the roof leaks and said, Jesus, you've got to find a way to pay for this. I'm not saying that. I am saying that everything I have belongs to you, Lord. Everything. Simon Leper opened his house. Martha. To live in serving others. Not yourself, but others. For Lazarus, it was to live now as a miracle man. He was raised from the dead. I've been made alive, the miracle of life. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been miraculously brought out of darkness into light. Are you sure of that? That your salvation is a miracle. Jesus died and you received the miracle of new life in Christ. You had no way to get there. He brought us there, saved us. And then as Mary came to live in absolute devotion to Jesus as a worshiper. She gave him her future. She gave him all the hope toward the end of life. I'm done. I'm not going to say this until I die and somebody can bury me with it. I'm going to give it away right now. I'm devoted to the Lord Jesus. How are we going to face not the death of Jesus, but when they want to come and go after us, possibly. They're doing that around the world. Do you know him? Is my name written in this book? Do we have fear? I want to tell you that God knows where you are, and God wants to bring you to the next place in your life. It was three years ago, March, April. I love that sound. I don't know what it is. Of March of 2020. COVID had just happened, and we shut down services until April. Uh, this weekend, we didn't celebrate in 2020, this day, this week, because we were under COVID lockdown. And in that time period, a little 16-year-old wrote an article about it. Actually, it's our granddaughter, Brody Grace. And she writes this. He said, to praise within the storm, that is one of the hardest things in life. When everything is falling apart and you have no idea where the future, what the future holds, it is the hardest and yet the most necessary thing. That sounds like the season we are in right now for three years. COVID-19 came out of nowhere. I didn't know what that fancy title meant 12 weeks ago. And now all of a sudden I can't see my friends or go to eat. And that's on top of the other struggles we already face. I've got type 1 diabetes. That certainly wasn't in my plans. I prayed and prayed for my healing, and I know that one day I'll receive it, whether it be now or when I meet Jesus face to face. But the most important thing that I've learned through these two seasons is to praise him in the storm. It's so hard to lay my desire to control it, my anger, my frustration aside. Instead, give it to my maker and praise him all the while. He helped me realize that I can't handle it, I can't fix it, but that he is the one who created the sun, moon, and stars, the one who created me from the dust, and he can handle it. He's the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He created the galaxy, and he knows in capital letters, my name. And even better yet, he knows what's ahead and is a perfect plan that includes each and every one of his children. He is good and worthy to be praised. 
And to see him, we simply have to look out the window. The mountains, the waves, even the sunrise and sunset, every flower, every petal intricately woven together, and the best yet, we can look in the mirror. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and each one knitted together in our mother's womb. I learned that I simply have to have the faith to lay it at his feet, to praise him for his faithfulness and goodness, to give him my worries and cares, my every need, to tell him of his mercy and grace, his omniscience and all power, to praise him for who he is. It's brought me so much peace, and I hope it does to you too. Isaiah 43, 2, and Patty read it earlier this morning, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned up. The day before Palm Sunday, there were at least five people, maybe more, who had no idea what was coming. They were riding above this intrigue to kill Jesus, and now they're going to walk it through and see it. But they didn't have to have fear. Why? Because they knew Jesus. They trusted in him, and you can read all about that in the rest of the books in Acts and so forth. But I wonder about you. Your individual life, not three million of you, just one of you, how are you walking Jesus today? How are you finding him today? I think he wants to just refresh your spirit with triumph, but also resurrection life. Worship team, as we come, and if we could, let's all stand together. Let's pray, Father. What a glorious plan you had. We don't fully understand all that Jesus went through. We can only surmise by the stories, the scripture words that describe it. But, Father, you sent Jesus for us. Everyone that believes in Jesus will not perish, but have everlasting life. I know it's your desire, Father, and it's my desire. I agree with you that everyone here in this room today would know you. Know you beyond a shadow of a doubt. Know that their sins are forgiven. They've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And their journey and their place that they would know you're right there with us. No, not fear, but confidence and hope of eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for telling us the stories of these people. All these centuries later, we can still see your hand in their lives. Touch each one today, I pray, every one of us. Lord, fill us by your spirit afresh and anew today that we can walk in your strength and your victory in a time of threatenings and, and evil around us. In your name, which is above every name, amen.